Today, I begin my 49th year of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> well, thank you. I love you people. This, I couldn't think of, uh, of sharing that in a better place than at Faith Community. And I truly love you and uh, want only the best for you in every way. Let me ask, did you ever follow the pop charts of your youthful days? It's okay to say yes. It's okay to say because I have to tell you that I followed the charts with unwavering devotion during my teen years. Even now when a song starts and I just hear the opening introduction before the words even come, I know what song it is. Uh, and, of course, I was following it in the greatest of all pop eras, the 60s. Um, the 1960s, not the 1860s. <laughs> Abe and I were good friends, but, uh, yeah. And I never wanted to miss the radio shows because there were different ones. Uh, there were top 100 shows. There were top 40. Those were great. And there were top 10. Uh, there was a cousin, Brucey, coming out of New York City. By the way, he was America's disc jockey when I was a teenager, and he's still going. Yeah, he has two shows a week out of that New York station. I can tell you the times if you're interested. One is live uh, on Wednesday night, and the other is a replay of that on Saturday. Unbelievable. Just, look, just Google that, cousin Brucey. And so, but let's back up. Let's back up even further than that. So we get out of your era, no matter what it, when it was, and we even get out of mine. So let's back up like 1,900 years <laughs> and pay attention to what the great apostle says in and around the year 60 A.D. So we turn today, and I think you've already been notified, to that amazing fifth chapter of the book of Romans. And up to this point in his letter to the Roman church, the Apostle Paul has been building God's case against those who refuse to accept Jesus as their Savior. And this is hard because some of them had previous religious backgrounds, and some of them, it's just, it's just all brand new. It just never heard anything like it. He also has clearly stated what God has done to provide salvation or justification by grace through faith. You understand how that works. Now in chapter 5, he turns to us, the believers. And yes, it was for the church at Rome then, but what he's saying in this letter is to the church in America today in this church too. Now, we've accepted Jesus as our Savior. Let's use that as our starting point. And since we have, what can we expect? I mean, what exactly is the value of salvation? Well, I'm going to give it to you real quickly in three points. First of all, it's the beginning of a great adventure. <laughs> and secondly, it's a new relationship with the creator of the entire universe. And finally... It's a life with sights, scenes, and scents that we've never experienced before. Never. A life on a brand new level of existence. Another dimension. And we call it the spiritual dimension. 
You see, when we were first born into this world, we had needs, but those were needs of the flesh. So mom and dad and family and others supplied all those needs. But now that we've been born again, born of the Spirit, we have spiritual needs. And God fulfills those new needs. In these first six verses of Romans 5, and I'm going to accentuate the first six, but we're going to look at a couple others as well. Romans chapter 5, Paul lists 10 benefits of our salvation. They're assets uh, uh, that, 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 that we get by coming to Christ. We receive, at the, uh, when we receive salvation, at the moment of salvation, these become ours. And so I'm going to get right into it, and we're going to drill down, starting at Romans chapter 5, verse 1, and I read, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, we're doing the top ten, okay? And so we do like they do on the radio. We're going to start with number ten. And these are not in any particular order of preference or importance because every one of them lumped together presents a great picture and they're all important. So number 10, we now have peace. Why do we need peace with God? Well, Romans chapter 5, again, verses 8 and 10 tell us. Verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. And then down in verse 10, he says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So we're reconciled by the Son of God, and we're saved by his life. Pretty nice stuff. Jesus on the cross took away our sin. If we are willing to place our full faith and trust in him, God sees us as though we have never sinned. That's the true definition of justification. And in the physical world, it can be shown graphically. I'm going to just explain it. I'm not going to show it to you today. But it's like taking a piece of pure glass Red glass, pure red, and holding it over a fabric or an object that is pure red. And when you look at that pure red through the pure red, you will see not a red object, but a white object. And that's the greatest picture I've ever known and ever used as an example of God seeing through the blood of Christ seeing our, skin, our scarlet sin and seeing us as white as the driven snow. When we trust Jesus as our sin payment, we immediately find peace with God. He pursued us in our sin to save us from ourselves and also to save us from eternal separation from Him. So when we surrender our will and quit running and quit resisting and accept Jesus as their only hope of salvation, then we have peace with God. Isn't it a wonderful thing? Isn't it a wonderful thing? This simply means that we no longer are at odds with God. The battle is over. 
But there's another level of peace available to us, and that is the peace of God. It's so wonderful to be at peace with God. But you can also have the peace of God. Wow. You see, peace with God, that puts us over on his side. We're on his team. That's salvation. And the peace of God equips us with an indestructible joy, regardless of the circumstances of life. That is spiritual maturity. It's a depth and a strength of faith that allows us to trust in God, no matter what, knowing that he is in charge. He's our shepherd. He's our king. He's in control of everything. Includes any circumstance that could interfere, interrupt, or dislodge us from the protective arms of God. Such a peace opens another door. Stay with me. Look down at verse 2, if you would. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Actually, this verse lists three assets. So let's go to the next hit. And the next hit is hit number nine, access. Just imagine, we are never out of his reach. Never. Never. We're just a prayer away, and since he's already taken up residence within us, it's always a local call. And the line's never busy. And you don't get an answering machine. (laughs) And you don't get the typical lie, I'll call you right back. Should just say, I don't want to talk to you, I'll never call you. That'd be, why can't we be honest? (laughs) By faith, trusting in the person of and complete work of Jesus as as our deliverer, our Lord, our keeper, gives us direct access to God the Father. There can be no reason to feel left out ever. No reason to be lonely. No reason to feel abandoned. The whole family of God surrounds you. And we have him to talk to all the time. Do you talk to him? Have you ever talked to him in the morning? Have you ever talked to him at noon? Have you ever talked to him in the evening? Have you ever talked to him all night long? Sometimes we need to talk and sometimes we need to listen. It's called the ministry of presence. Let's go to the next hit, hit number eight. It says right here in verse two, we have grace. It says, into this grace, Paul says, we stand. I love those words. You see, grace is that unmerited favor of God, right. And we don't deserve to be in the family of God, right. And we don't deserve to be in the body of Christ, right. But God used his grace, listen to this, to transfer our sins to Jesus on the cross, and simultaneously that same grace was transferred, transferring his righteousness to us. This is the grace that God looks through to see us as acceptable in his sight. That's right. 
worthy to be numbered among his family. Oh, man, we're worthy now. You say, well, I'd, I'd accept it, but I'm not worthy. Look, we're all in the same boat. But he makes you worthy. He brings you into the family of God. He sees you through the, through the uh, uh, payment that Jesus made, and that makes you worthy. Worthy to be in the body of Christ. It's God great, God's grace that keeps you alive. It's grace that allows you to grow in Christ. It is grace that allows us to recover when we stray, when we go our own way, when we fail. Did you ever fail? When we fall down, when we miss the mark. It's grace. It's the greatest motivator that believers have. Grace, this is worthy of your notes, grace is the greatest motivator that believers have. Nothing should motivate us like grace. The grace of Almighty God. Now notice this verse too. Grace is something that we stand in. Isn't that interesting? And it's an introduction to God's uh, greater grace that we can grow into. So we have this grace, saving grace, and then we can grow into a greater grace, which is spiritual maturity. And by the way, we're not done. That prepares us for God's surpassing grace, and that's the grace that carries us through the transition of life from the temporary to the eternal. Oh, amen. Let's go to hit number seven. We rejoice in hope. Life can become rough. Yes? We have some families at Faith Community that right now, Life can be rough. Right, life can be mean. Life can seem unfair. Life can be painful. Life can be threatening. Life can be terminal. And just in case you haven't been made aware, we're all terminal. But in Christ, we can see these as temporary aggravations on the launching pad, interruptions in the countdown to eternity. Think of them that way, as interruptions to the countdown to eternity. We're going to blast off. What is that? That's the life that God intended us to live, the life he prepared us to live. In Jesus, our deliverer, it transforms and transcends the time that we spend on earth. This is only the beginning. This is what you're, where you are right now and what you're living and what you're seeing and what you're experiencing and what you may be going through. That's just the beginning. That's just the shaping. That's just the equipping. It's time of testing and it's a time of strengthening for a better day ahead. You see, we, we can have joy in the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. It's a guarantee that we will live throughout eternity. It's a guarantee. Anybody who's hedging their bets or just wondering whether it's really going to happen or not sure if it's for them, I want to say it again. It's a guarantee that we will live throughout eternity. To for, and, and I plan to, to do this, to celebrate God for all of his greatness and a fellowship with Jesus for all of his love, his grace, and his sacrifice on my behalf. Now if you slip down to verse 3, Paul continues, not only that, but 
We also glory in tribulations. And here, some people think Paul has completely lost his mind. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Today's English might read this way, or your uh, uh, particular version might read, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces patience. I've often had people say, Pastor, I, I, I'm, I'm just praying for patience. I don't, 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 don't pay for patience. Why? Because the only, way I see, the only place I see it in the Scripture is Paul saying that this kind of thing, tribulation and suffering and pain and discomfort, that's what builds patience. So don't be praying for more of that. That brings me to hit number six. We can, in the same verse, rejoice in adversity. Believe me, it takes a well-grounded, well-tested faith to rejoice when your body's hurting. When worry paralyzes you. You got the paralysis of analysis, and you just... It just it goes over and over and over. And you're trying to do God's job. That's why he's taken a little time off from you because he figures if you're going to do it or if I'm going to do it and mess it up, then um, have at it. So I worry and I analyze. And then I analyze the analytics. Then I anal analyze what I just analyzed. You never do this. I know you don't. You don't lay awake at night and that one thing just keeps going through your head over and over and over and over. You know, it's hard to rejoice when medicine quits working. It's hard to rejoice when your physical strength is fading. It's hard to rejoice when death becomes a welcome option. But we can glory... That is, we can rejoice in such suffering because we have, listen to this, a risen, living Savior who tells us that we will never be tested beyond what we can withstand. Who promises to work everything out for our own good if we love the Lord and we're called to His purpose. Who said... Lo, I, he said, am with you always, even to the end of this age. That's more than we even asked for. This takes a faith with the strength of titanium steel and the depth of infinity itself. But in Christ Jesus, we have both. Such strength, such depth, and both are necessary for the next big number. The next hit is hit number five. And that, my friends, is perseverance. The regimen of life that God puts us through is not meant to destroy us, but to toughen us for the battle. I said, God, why did you put me through these troubled waters? And God said, because your enemy can't swim. When we know through the strongest of faith that God has our best interests at heart, we can persevere, keeping an eye firmly on a joyful, painless, purposeful future. 
when we transit into the eternal dimension of life. Going into eternity is not the end of life, my friend. That's the beginning of real life. Life doesn't, doesn't end. Yeah, there's an old hymn or a gospel song. You didn't, but some of us used to sing years ago. Heaven will surely be worth it all. I often thought of the words of that song. I'd sing it for you, but you'd want to go to heaven today if I did that. But just knowing, just knowing that that tribulation, that trial, that trouble, that, that reversal, that failure, just knowing that that will produce perseverance if you keep living by faith. And then you can slide into verse 4. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. Hit number 4. If perseverance does nothing else, it leaves us with a proven character. Interesting words in this letter, man. The word knowing. And if you grammar scholars, it's a perfect participle. What's that mean? It means that we, what, what we knew in the past, we can continue to know in the future, even in the midst of a myriad of problems. Now here's your takeaway principle for today. We are not to let problems take us away from sound doctrinal thinking. For the strength, the power, and the final verdict is always in the Word of God. We're banking on the character of God. We're banking on the validity of His Word. Regardless of our condition, regardless of where we are in life, regardless of what we're going through or been through, God never changes. His love and provisions are just as big as they've always been. So we anticipate with full confidence that we are in His plan. And that's a great place to be. Therefore, we can celebrate His greatness whether we're weak or strong, sick or well, up or down, in or out of the situation, it matters not, and we can still praise his name. This is what gets us to the next hit, and I'm thinking it's going to be hit number three, and I'm going to say the next portion of Scripture is going to include hits number three, two, and one, so don't turn the dial. Hit number three, confidence, and if you want to insert another word in its place, or hope. Look at verse 5. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been, has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. A lot in that verse. In Romans chapter 10, verse 11, you don't need to turn to it, but I want to read it. The Scripture says, and Paul quotes it from Isaiah, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Hmm. You see, the idea of shame, as it's used there, is that the idea of utter disappointment. If his salvation failed, 
God would be shamed. If his hope and assurance failed, God would be shamed. If his word were not true, God would be shamed. And we would be disappointed, lost, with no hope at all. Worst of all, worst of all, if any of those things happen, God would not be God. But of course, God is God. His word stands. The promises are sound. The salvation is permanent. Consequently, we have full assurance and we have total confidence in Jesus as our Savior, our hope, our life, and our eternal assurance. Boy, we're getting down there, and that brings me to hit number two. The love of God. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts, Paul says, within our souls, within the very center of our lives. And how's that done? Oh, he answers that too. Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Thank you, Paul. In Ephesians chapter 1, he writes, we have the assurance that the Holy Spirit resides in us if we trust Jesus as our advocate, our soul saver. Wow. His purpose is to be a seal, a sign of protection and approval. You know, the seal of, of approval, the good housekeeping seal of approval. You know what a seal is. Not, a, not one of those little uh, marine animals. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to be a seal. Not a marine animal seal. Uh, how many right now are with me? Okay. When the others twitch a little bit, tell them it's time to wake up, okay? No, if you miss this, you really could miss the, the impact of your salvation and why you're not living it to the fullest. The purpose of the Holy Spirit, number one, is to be a seal. And I'm going to explain that. Both a sign of protection and approval. And the indwelling Holy Spirit serves as a down payment. Everybody knows what that is. On all the great things that God gives to those who trust Him. So we talk about being in His love. How great is that love? Think about this. Who would you be willing to sacrifice your firstborn child for? Who is worth all the pain, all the agony, all the abuse, all the, all the torment, and even the death, cruel and, and ignominious treatment, that slow brutal death that Jesus suffered. Who is worth all that? Look right at me. I'm not. I'm not. You're not. Listen, 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 listen. But to God we are. And to God we were, and every one of us, to God we were, and to God this very moment we are. 
He says, and you just pick out a name as I point. Yep, yep, yes, 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 yes. They are all, they were worth letting Jesus die that I might have fellowship with them again and with Jesus. His great love, can I overstate this? I don't know. Led Jesus to take on human flesh, to suffer shame and rejection on our behalf, to endure beatings and sarcasm and doubt and agonize for hours on that awful, cruel cross to succumb when his Father's fellowship was ripped from him. And my wonderful, treasured friends, that is the love of God Almighty. That's the fuel for God's mercy and grace. And if that was the love of God hit number two, you've been waiting for this all day, teenagers. This is hit number one. The tenth of ten attributes of our justification that Paul covers in those five verses. And it's the Holy Spirit within the believer. You see, God planted himself. Yeah. The Holy Spirit within our very souls. He created within everyone who believes a new spirit. And there is where he dwells. I think right along with the Father and the Son. We have the full power of the Godhead within us at all times. And here is how he did it. We're going to go down to verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. And this verse actually refers back to chapter 4, verse 5, and I'll read it quickly for you. But to the one who does not work, or try to work out his own getting saved, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. One of the greatest words in the English language, righteousness. Let me say it one more time. You and I, my friend, well... We were helpless. We were helpless. But at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That is for us. The helpless, <laughs> the hopeless. Nothing about us made God proud. And you know, at least once, I think I can find two, uh, two passages of Scripture, but I'm going to say at least once, God even voiced regret that he ever put us on the earth. You know what that was? Disappointment. Mankind was a great disappointment to God. We were, and anyone without Christ living within them are still considered the ungodly. But here's what Paul said in Galatians 4 and verse 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law. This verse says, at the right time, in due time, just exactly the perfect timing. It was not because there was something great within us that he thought he could develop. Actually, salvation is starting all 
over again. We were already singing that in our opening song where we bring him all the pieces and he, he, he makes it over. It's starting all over again. The death of Jesus didn't offer renovation. The death, death of Jesus didn't offer refurbishing. The death of, uh, of Jesus didn't offer just cleaning up. It offered a brand new life and a new beginning. Aren't you glad? He overstepped everything. What do you mean? Every wrong, every sin, every fault, every egotistical moment that had been lived since the Garden of Eden. He breathed new life into an old body. It was not life in the flesh. It was rather life in the spirit. This is where Adam started, but he lost it. And in Christ, we can't lose it. In Christ, we can't lose it. Marinate. In Christ, the last Adam, we can't lose it. We have God's guarantee on that. See, he offers salvation, not probation. And it's not because we deserve it, but because he so loves us. And at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I'm glad God, Christ didn't just die for the religious. I'm glad that Christ didn't just die for the pompous and the sanctimonious and the rule keepers. Oh, I'm so glad down deep in my heart that Christ died for the ungodly. Huh? The word for, even, even that. Sometimes we just read these things and we read them a hundred times, but we never stop. For is a preposition and it means substitution or in, it says he died for the ungodly means in the place of the ungodly. Who was due to be executed by crucifixion on that cross? I was. You were. But in due time, just at the right moment, Christ died for us, in the place of us. I'm getting excited. Uh, hold me down. The emphasis is that Jesus Christ took our place when he went to the cross. That is grace, my friend. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says in verse 21, God made him who had, had no sin to be, didn't say he made him to identify with sin, he made him to be sin, here's the word, for us, in the place of us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have to be just as pure and sinless then as God himself to be accepted and blessed by him. And the only way we can do that is through Christ. 
Look, God doomed his own son to a sinful death in our place, in our place, in our place, in our place, in your place, in my place, in our place. So we would not have to endure separation from God. That, my friends, is grace. And I'm about to burst open. I'm about to praise him. And church, I think God would like to hear us praise him this morning too for his wonderful grace. Give him the glory. All the glory. And this is the way that God did it. This is how God made you and me acceptable. Oh, The very holiness of God was stripped from the Son and given to us, the ungodly. God's hope is that we will depend entirely upon Him for everything in our lives. The breaking of every new day, the setting of every sun, the peace of every night's slumber, and to accomplish this, to make it plausible for us to live the new life that He has given. Then He gave us part of Himself. He gave us all of Himself. He gave us His own Holy Spirit to live within us. Paul asked the church at Corinth, in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, verse 19, he said, Guard, oh, no, he said, do, uh, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. Love it. Take your hands off. You don't manage it anymore. And Paul asked Timothy this question in 2 Timothy 1.14. He said, Guard the good deposit, or the truth of the gospel. Guard it, young man. That was entrusted to you. Guard it or keep it. How? 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 With the help of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Wow. The Holy Spirit who lives in us. God didn't just save us, didn't save us just to toss us, help us back into Satan's world and back into that kind of life. That's not why he saved you. Oh, there. Fire insurance. Yeah, we're safe now. So many people get it wrong. He saved us to keep us for his own, to live now and forever, and to live with him. He left us here to share the good news of Christ with all who will listen. He equipped us by implanting himself within us. You don't have to, like some people, just stumble into, into oblivion with nothing. So sad. Nothing to look for, nothing to live for, nothing to die for, nothing but pain, nothing but agony, nothing but loneliness, nothing but separation, nothing but bad vibes. When we let Jesus be Lord and Savior, when we let him lead us all the way, then we live his way with his resources, with him in us, with all the heavenly blessings. But one last thing. And... uh, Worship team, you may assemble. One last thing. God still gives us the choice. And here's the choice. Don't be disturbed by movement. Just stay with it and put all this together if you would. The choice is his way, what we call the straight and narrow way that leads to eternal life, or our way the broad way of separation, suffering, and loss. And here's why, Cousin Bob will tell you, here's why we need his way. Because his way yields God's top ten. 
peace, access, grace, rejoice in hope, joy in adversity, perseverance, proven character, confidence, love of God, Holy Spirit living within. That, my friends, is the top 10 of 60 A.D. Oh, 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 oh. And of today.